everybody, and welcome back to Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. I've got another interview show for you today. Uh, we're going to be talking some privacy issues with Aaron Mackey. He's a staff attorney at the Electronic Frontier Foundation, focusing on privacy. And we've definitely got a privacy-related story to talk to you about today, something that might creep you out a little bit, or at least it creeped me out, uh, with Best Buy and their kind of a chummy relationship that was recently exposed with the FBI. So uh, tell you what, let's dive into that, and uh, after the show, I'll catch you up a little bit more on some Facebook things, and uh, I'll tell you about next week. But now, without further ado, let's uh, talk with Aaron Mackey. And we are here, as promised, with Aaron Mackey. He's a staff attorney for the Electronic Frontier Foundation, one of my favorite all-time orgs, uh, and he works on digital free speech, privacy, and government transparency. Welcome, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Kea. So today we're going to talk about a kind of a particular situation involving Best Buy's Geek Squad, um, uh, which is their consumer repair and upgrade service, uh, and their relationship with law enforcement. And a, um, and then we're going to delve into kind of what this means in a broader scope. But let's start at the beginning. Uh, I think this started last year with the case against a California doctor who had taken his computer in for repair and they found something on his hard drive. Is that right? And if so, kind of flesh that out. Yeah, absolutely. So um, what happened was there's a prosecution, uh, federal prosecution in Southern California against a doctor, uh, Mark Rettenmeyer. And, um, you know, basically it was uh, what appeared to be, uh, you know, an alleged uh, child pornography possession case. And as um, the case was proceeding, uh, Rettenmeyer um, through his attorneys began to raise questions and then ultimately bring legal challenges to um, the government's behavior, particularly the FBI's behavior, um, as it related to searching his computer and, and what happened. And sort of what began was, or the whole case began when Dr. Rittmeyer's hard drive stopped working and he went to his local Best Buy uh, looking for some help. And um, Best Buy, while they have a geek squad on site uh, to sort of handle sort of these high level um, problems with people's devices, say when your hard drive crashes, they send them to a central facility in Kentucky. And so um, that Best Buy facility uh, has Geek Squad employees, and, and one of the um, parts of that facility is what's known as the Data Recovery Division. And uh, Dr. Rettmeyer's computer was sent there, and in the course of trying to repair his hard drive, um, child pornography was found and evidence was turned over to the FBI. And um, that all sounds sort of like a normal uh, story in as much as, you know, uh, a private employee finds something illegal. Uh, they call the police, as I think we're all taught that's what you should do. Mm -hmm. uh, and the police come and take it away. But what came about in the Rettmeyer prosecution was there was evidence introduced that there was not just sort of a a, a relationship between the FBI and the Geek Squad in terms of, you know, know which number to call when you find illegal material, but that Best Buy employees, Geek Squad employees, were actually being paid. Um, they were being paid as informants. They were being classified as confidential human sources, which is the FBI's um, sort of internal name for informants, um, and that there was some sort of ongoing relationship between managers at the Geek Squad facility um, and the local FBI field office in Kentucky. Um, and so that all came and there that came about and was disclosed. And so um, we at EFF who care about um, digital civil rights and civil liberties um, were very concerned when we found out about this. So we filed a, a Freedom of Information Act request to sort of um, our goal was to try to get to the bottom of what that relationship looked like. 
and you you found quite a bit, as I recall. At, at this point, you started realizing that it's not just this one case. It's not just one or two people. That this actually goes back quite a few years with quite a few people. Yes, I mean, so the the records that were uh, most recently released and that we published um, show that this relationship goes back to at least 2008. Um, in particular, we were uh, the FBI disclosed to us an email and a memo um, from the local field office in Kentucky, in which uh, the agents say, hey, we're having a meeting of our cyber crimes unit, and the meeting's going to take place at the Geek Squad uh, facility. And uh, if people want to come early, um, Geek Squad's going to give us a tour of the facility. And also talks about how they uh, maintain close relationships between the FBI Geek Squad facility and uh, the FBI. Uh, we also... Um, received a document that shows um, sort of a, a receipt for $500 that the FBI paid to one informant. Uh, and that matches up with um, some of the records that were disclosed in the Rettenmeyer prosecution that showed um, that agents were paid uh, any or agents paid Geek Squad employees between $500 and $1,000 um, in sort of different payments um, at different times. So to be clear, then, so this, the the whole meeting at the the Best Buy place, that kind of implies to me that it's, this is not just, you know, the FBI privately saying, oh, that I happen to know this guy works at Best Buy, and I know he works at this facility. Let me approach him like a, I don't know, a spy would, or a, looking for mm -hmm. an insider or a mole. It's this, it, the best Best Buy, the company was was aware of this. Did they cultivate this? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a good question. We don't have sort of any definitive knowledge of that. But I think what what these documents and sort of everything that's come out has has raised important questions, which is that the, the story from the FBI and from Geek Squad from day one has been, look, all that happens is our employees do the work that they're assigned. And when they come across something illegal, they call the FBI or they call the local police to let them know that something illegal has come. And the FBI says, that's all we do. All we do is we show up when we're called. But these documents sort of paint a different picture. Um, and they show a potential close and cozy relationship between Geek Squad employees, this particular facility, and FBI agents um, over a number of years. Um, and so when you start to pay uh, Geek Squad employees, when you start to label them as informants, that's a very different relationship than what's been published publicly presented. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like the difference to me is that well, a couple of things. First of all, they're prepaid, it sounds like. Or is it or is it on a fact-finding thing? Like once they find something they get paid, once they find something. Yeah, we're not we're not sure. I mean, there's been testimony uh, in a different case, actually, um, by an FBI agent. Um, this is a state case in, in Kentucky in which um, the feds declined to prosecute. Um, but they've actually sort of uh, the defendant has examined one of the FBI agents. And her claim is that they were never paid sort of um, after finding anything that they were just sort of paid randomly and that the FBI just paid them because they had extra money. Um, you can take that for, for what, whatever uh, you, you want to believe. Um, right. But yeah, we don't have definitive proof as to like, you know, connecting the dots between say uh, a particular geek squad employee turning something over to the FBI and then like, Several days later, you know, a, a receipt to that person for a payment. So there's nothing been that sort of um, clear cut to us, but it, it definitely sort of raises this question when you're labeling um, Geek Squad employees as confidential human uh, sources and, and sort of calling them informants and treating them like informants and paying them like informants. Um, when do they stop acting like private? 
um, individuals who are just doing their work for a company, and when do they start looking more like extensions of the government and agents for the FBI? Yeah, exactly. Um, so that that would seem to be the 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 crux of the issue for, for me, because at some point, how does the Fourth Amendment here get involved? I mean, that normally. To get this kind of information, you would need a warrant. But if you pay right. an employee somehow, then it doesn't count. How do, how do you parse that legally? Yeah, I mean, so there's there's historically there's always been um, this distinction under the Fourth Amendment between, say, a private search and a government search. Um, and the sort of the classic example is if if you're you know in your neighborhood or a neighbor breaks into your home and sees something illegal and reports it to the cops. That is not a government search. That's a private search. And you might have recourse against your, your neighbor, say, for trespass or, or for some other sort of civil claim. Um, but you don't, you don't have sort of a Fourth Amendment claim against them. Um, you know, the, the Fourth Amendment and, and courts have sort of recognized that, that sort of, you know, when a private person is doing something on their own volition and they happen to cross something illegal and they report it to the police, um, you know, that can be used for the police to then go get a warrant and to claim, you know, to, and then begin a prosecution. And, and that's what, you know, all along, that's what they claim is happening with these cases, which is that this is a private person who's repairing your computer and in the course of their repair, they find something and then they tell us and then we go from there. Um, but, you know, our concern is that the distinction that the courts have made and it's it's it sort of varies sort of where in the country you're looking at which federal courts. Um, but at what point, basically some of the key questions are at what point is the agent, the sort of government directing a private actor to take uh -huh. some initiative and controlling them or incentivizing them to do something? And we think sort of under the factors we've looked at that when you pay someone um, and then uh, you also have them doing certain conduct that we think potentially goes beyond sort of their course of their duties, that is finding things in unallocated spaces of people's hard drives um, where they wouldn't normally show up in sort of a manual review of, of people's hard drives to check to make sure all the photos were recovered. Um, it potentially looks like someone's going outside the bounds of their, you know, the, the scope of their employment duties to fix something. And they're also being sort of incentivized. And once they've for us, in our mind, once they once they start to be paid by the government to sort of take this course of conduct, then they're not a private private entity anymore. Then they're actually acting as an agent for the FBI, and they're doing something that an FBI agent couldn't do. What, which is, you know, an FBI agent can't show up at yeah. the Geek Squad facility without a warrant and just say, "I would like to search Aaron Mackey's computer." Um, you know, let me do a forensic search of his hard drive right now. Um, but what's happening here is that that appears to be what's what these Geek Squad employees are doing in some instances. So to be clear, that they're directly using this evidence. This wasn't used for some sort of parallel construction thing where they kind of found out through a back channel that wasn't quite admissible to what was going on, and then they used that to find a front door or a legal matter to find that same issue. They, they directly admit, uh, admitted this evidence and it, it assumed that that was legal. Yes. I, I mean, they sort of, you know, the, the paper trail they create is, is somewhat different than like a parallel construction scenario in as much as... Um, what they portray in all of these investigations. And if you look at um, a lot of the records that were given to us are basically like incident reports in which the FBI agent reports going to, um, you know, going to the facility is that, you know, what happens is someone calls the FBI after finding something um, and the FBI agent goes and they look at the, the material and then they seize 
um, the hard drive and then they secure a search warrant and then they, uh, based on sort of what they've observed and, and what was been told to them by the Geek Squad employee, and then they go and they conduct a search. Um, and so in that way, it's it's different than parallel construction in the sense of there's not um, there's not like a secret government process that's occurring that's then leveraged into sort of a, a papered over official process. Um, but here it's just sort of straight through. Um, now, of course, it, it raises similar questions, which is that, you know, when you write a report that says this and, and that this is how things are, it definitely conflicts with other documents and evidence that we've seen, um, like we've been talking about. So I'm assuming, by the way, the Best Buy has not disclosed this in any way, even in the fine print of their terms of service. When you turn it over to Geek Squad, there's nothing in there that says, oh, by the way, we might be looking around at this. If we see something, we're going to report it. That's that, that's not disclosed, is it? Well, what they do say is that um, there, there's a part of the, um, the contract that you sign that says to the extent that um, in the course of our repair – we um, we find or identify anything illegal. Hmm. Um, we we may um, or in some cases we are obligated to under under laws um, to report that. So they so they do give notice to that. But I think our distinction is um, when you sign something like that, what you're expecting is that if someone in the course of their repair finds something, then they're going to turn it over. What you're not expecting is that, um, you know, basically you're turning your your computer into uh, agents of the FBI to, to search search your device. Right. So uh, do we have any idea from, the, from your FOIA requests uh, uh, how rampant this is within Best Buy, or do we know of uh, other companies that have similar arrangements? Yeah, those those questions are are good questions and they're they're hard to answer. I mean, what what Best Buy has said publicly is that this was a pretty isolated incident. Um, they claim that senior management within Best Buy and the Geek Squad had no knowledge that this was occurred. Um, they say that it was limited to four employees, um, three of which uh, are no longer with Best Buy, and one who has been reassigned, according to their mm. um, public statements. Um, and and so, you know, that's sort of what what they've said publicly. Um, you know, as far as what what we've been able to see from these documents, their incident reports that look like there are, um, you know, more than a handful, but not. Um, dozens in terms of uh, the number of incidents that were investigated and reported to us in which the FBI is saying that uh, they're identifying Geek Squad employees as not just employees, but in some cases, confidential human sources and informants. Um, so so we're still hoping to learn more about that. But then I think that the bigger question and the important question you raise is, you know, what does this look like for, for other companies? Is this happening, say, with um, AppleCare or any other sort of major retailer or computer repair um, service provider? And we don't know. We specifically asked for um, documents that would show any types of similar relationships, um, memorandums, agreements, training materials, emails that would disclose those types of relationships. The FBI has said that they can neither confirm nor deny whether any of those documents exist, so they can't confirm or deny whether those relationships exist. Um, we are, um, you know, we're in litigation uh, with the FBI now, and we will be pushing back against those claims and are hoping um, that the FBI will actually have to give us a straight up uh, yes or no answer and produce records to the extent that they exist and document similar relationships. So it sounds like this was basically a mutually beneficial relationship that, you know, that there was payment involved. These guys apparently willingly did this. But is there any sort of – do we have any sort of notion that this sort of 
co- uh, behavior could be coerced? Is there, uh, you know, the kind of the boogeyman thing we always runs to is the national security letter, the NSL. But mm-hmm. are, are there other mechanisms like that that we know of at this point, either with uh, intelligence agencies or law enforcement that can compel this sort of behavior? I don't think that there's anything that I'm aware of that would sort of compel a private individual to, you know, um, to go beyond sort of um, cooperating with an FBI agent in some sort of investigation um, and would require them to look for this. Um, I mean, I think, you know, there's there's the flip side of this, which is that there are um, state and in some cases uh, federal laws that require uh, um certain individuals to sort of mandatory reporting requirements. Now, um, I, I think under at least federal law, an, a Geek Squad employee is not sort of a mandatory reporter. There are sort of certain types of officials that are mm. mandatory reporters, but um, they don't strike me as falling into those categories. Um, but certainly under state law, there are a lot of state laws out there that say to the extent that you find, um, come across child pornography, you come across, um, you know, evidence of sexual abuse of minors and and so on, um, you have to report it. And so those, those laws do, obviously they require that reporting. Um, and you know, those are the laws and, and we should follow them to the extent that they, you know, that they require that. But I, again, I think there's a difference between sort of happening across something which they claim, you know, you send in your hard drive and say, you know, I, I can't look at my computers anymore. I lost all my vacation photos. Um, and they repair them. And what they claim to, how they claim to repair them is after they fixed your hard drive, they do a spot check um, where they basically sort of are just clicking around in your hard drive, primarily on pictures or videos or things like that, just to make sure that like the picture renders and they, they were able to fix everything. Um, and that's when they claim they happen across uh, the child pornography and that's when they report it. Um, and so that narrative doesn't strike me as entirely controversial. Um, um, but again, to the extent that they were, you know, what we've seen, particularly in the Rettmeyer prosecution, is where they found these images were on the unallocated spaces. And, they, and the, only other, the only way to sort of identify um, those, those images when they're in um, unallocated space, um, which basically means deleted space uh, on your computer's hard drive, is to use some sort of forensic tool to, to to scan the drive, to recognize there's something there, and to either repair the directory or path um, to that you know particular file so that you can access it again. Um, so then, if that's the case, then it's obviously not not being found by sort of a manual spot check. Mm. Um, it's being found in a different way, um, and and we don't know. Maybe it's being found because the same forensic tool that's being used to repair your device also allows them to look at everything. But again, it does raise questions about sort of their public-facing testimony about what they do versus what's come out in this prosecution and in the documents. So let's back up maybe some, some broader issues. Maybe we should have started here because we've been talking about basically a, a child pornographer was caught. And this mm-hmm. is obviously not a very terribly sympathetic case when you're, you know, when yep. you're trying to make the point for, um, you know, people's individual rights to privacy or whatever. So what do you say to people when they say, yeah, but we got the guy. This guy was horrible. I'm glad we got off the street. That was a good thing. What do you... How do you right. how do you present the argument in a way to people like that that they get the picture? Yeah, I mean it's hard. I, I mean, obviously, in my view, there's there's no you know really horrible crimes exception to the Fourth Amendment. <laughs> right. So the, the the Fourth Amendment exists to to meaningfully limit and restrict government power because that's 
uh, the design that our framers envisioned um, when they created a society that restrained the state. The Fourth Amendment stands there to ensure our personal liberty and autonomy and privacy by limiting what the government can do and when they can search or seize um, both our, our us and um, you know our property um, and invade our privacy. And so if we don't apply those principles when the underlying crime and charges are abhorrent, when we all agree that child pornography is terrible, when we all agree that we think we should prevent homicides, we should prevent acts of terrorism, um, if we can't apply those principles then, um, then I start to worry about whether or not they're actually meaningful pr uh, principles and they're meaningfully restricting the government activity um, to allow us to have a free and open society. I mean, I think the measure of the worth and value of our society is that we we protect um, individuals who are, you know, accused of engaging in abhorrent behavior. Uh, and we can't let the passions that we feel um, influence the, the, the sort of underlying and overriding principle, which is that the Fourth Amendment still would require so, um, you know, the cops to get a warrant here, um, or that the Fourth Amendment shouldn't, shouldn't allow the cops to sort of avoid a warrant requirement by enticing and paying individuals to do searches that the government couldn't otherwise do. So in your mind, what are, what are the broader implications of this? This was a specific case, a specific, a specific mm -hmm. company, and, and, and as, as interesting as that may be, there's so much data being collected. There's so many opportunities now that we didn't have before uh, to get access to things like this. Uh, for, you know, right. uh, what I immediately thought of is why not pay off the guys at the antivirus companies to scan everybody's hard drives? Uh, you know, and <laughs> mm -hmm. it, it just it seems like this this could get out of hand. And so how do we... Yep. You know, as a society, kind of box this in and because and, and, I, I know that laws just tend to lag technology. Um, yep. And we also just need more transparency, in my view. So how, in your mind, what what are the right. implications of this? What are How do we proceed? Yeah, I mean, I think the implications of this are potentially scary when you look at not just what, what the government's potentially doing um, and the rights that are being invaded, but what are the consequences of that? So whether it's a repair facility, whether it's an antivirus um, you know, software provider or something like that, um, when, when people who, you know, now increasingly we all rely on our computers, our cell phones, um, our tablets, and so on for everything we do in our daily lives. If we can't trust the the services that you know that fix our devices, that um, make our devices secure, um, because we're worried about their those companies or those providers' interactions with law enforcement or or sort of how they how they stand up or not stand up to law enforcement in those situations, then um, you know, we're creating a whole sorts of other problems, which is that people don't want to get their devices fixed. They don't want to apply security updates. They, you know, they, they, they do all these things that then make them, you know, insecure and potentially targets for other, like either other governments or private bad actors. And so there are, you know, serious implications in that, you know, what, what I've heard from people is like, well, I'm never sending my computer to Best Buy and I'm never going to get it mm. fixed. And it's like, you know, that's a problem because um, people still need to get their computers fixed. I, yeah. I mean, there's, some, there's something actually really good and valuable about a service provided by the Geek Squad that, like, if you lose pictures of your children, um, it's really great that Best Buy lets you get them back or they try really hard to. Um, and so, like, yeah. 
is are people like foregoing that opportunity because they're worried about this? And yeah, and I think as far as where are we going from here, I think you're absolutely right on the transparency point. I mean, I think what we really need is a is a full accounting of exactly what this looked like um, and what this relationship was. And and if it was as innocuous as as the government claims, then then I think you know they they should. Um, they should have no problem, you know, being more transparent, providing us with more documents. Um, they've withheld a number of documents in full. They've redacted a bunch of others that they provided, um, you know, um, appearing before a congressional committee to explain it. Um, you know, those sorts of steps are meaningful and important. Um, and then, uh, you know, I think what we've hopefully seen from what happened with Rettmeyer prosecution, although what ultimately happened was somewhat different, um, hopefully disincentivizes this type of behavior because, I mean, the, the Rettmeyer prosecution, uh, and we can talk a little bit about what happened there, but ultimately the government lost uh, a child pornography prosecution in which they had oh. evidence of of, possess- of someone possessing child pornography. Um, and so if I'm, uh, if I'm an attorney for the Department of Justice, if I'm, you know, a prosecutor thinking about this, um, you know, I want to make sure that things are done the right way so that when I finally do get to prosecute the individual, these questions aren't there. Um, and that just breeds trust into the system that, the, you know, the police and law enforcement and prosecutors are administering justice fairly and they're doing so, um, you know, while, while fully respecting everyone's rights under the Constitution. So I guess I I didn't read that far in the article. So, so that particular case was lost over this over, over the uh, uh, evidence collection process. So so what happened in that case is the the court actually didn't um, on on the Best Buy Geek Squad issue. What the court said was uh, even if the the Geek Squad employees were agents of the government, the um, when Rettmeyer signed the, the the document with the contract with the FBI or with Geek Squad that said, you know, if if you find these anything illegal, um, we're going to alert authorities. That diminished his reasonable expectation of privacy under the Fourth Amendment, and so that wasn't an issue in which there was a Fourth Amendment concern actually. But what what did happen was um, the affidavit that the FBI submitted in support of the search warrant, it turns out that the, the court made a finding that the, um, the FBI agent who, who wrote that affidavit misrepresented um, significant material facts about what they did with the hard drive beforehand, including um, performing an initial scan of the hard drive after installing a write blocker and potentially scanning it a second time. So we're talking about them engaging in two warrantless searches mm-hmm. of the device before securing a search warrant for it. And that was the issue that the court uh, seized on there and um, basically excluded the evidence. Um, I don't think the case is technically like he hasn't been exonerated in that there. I think they could potentially still bring charges against him. They could try to revive the case in a different way. But I think the central piece of it, the, you know, the main evidence and the link between what when the evidence was uncovered um, and what they were trying to prosecute him on was definitely tossed out by the court. And and again, so that that just goes to like what what happens and how should the government move forward when they're dealing with this type of scenario? So last question, it's a little bit loaded, but <laughs> before I let you go, cause I know you got to run um, in situations like this, it seems like we've got like a, usually at least a two prong approach. There's legal remedies and there's technical remedies. Then the legal mm-hmm. remedies are, you know, somebody who introduces a bill or you would, or you make sure that you press your representatives before you vote for them or after if necessary, 
you know, where they stand on these issues and make sure you get your representatives out there that believe what you do. And then there's technical remedies where you maybe you encrypt your hard drive. Maybe you do end-to-end encryption on these things where you can kind of personally take control of these things. Right. Um, where would you advise people? Do you, have, do you have specific things? Are the bills in front of Congress right now that people could be calling their representatives about? Are there technologies mm-hmm. that people could be using right now uh, to uh, protect themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think on the legal front, it's it's definitely challenging. I mean, I think what what would take, you know, not necessarily a law, but sort of maybe a lawsuit or some other meaningful finding um, that this type of behavior violates the Fourth Amendment, and then you have the deterrent effect moving forward um, that prohibits that. Um, there's not any law that would sort of, you know, put a uh, put something above the Fourth Amendment floor to sort of uh, prohibit this type of behavior, um, that would be amazing. Um, but but then on the, on the technical front, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, um, thinking about how to secure your information, you know, what information do you have, um, who can have access to it, um, and, you know, what can you do to, to protect yourself? Encryption is one example, uh, you know, encrypting either, uh, you know, entirely your, your hard drive or portions of it um, to secure your personal information so that if you are, you know, trying to get the rest of the hard drive repaired, um, but you don't want to have um, a technician rifling through, say, your financial records or your health records, um, you know, then those are definitely options that are that are worth considering. Well, thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, all this information. It's it's always good to know what's going on, and I'm so glad to have you guys out there fighting the good fight for this stuff. So thanks for coming, and thanks for doing what you do. Thanks for having me, Gary. And that's going to wrap up our show this week. Uh, I want to say the thanks to Aaron Mackey for coming on and telling us all about the whole Geek Squad thing. It's really kind of weird. Uh, you know, I understand... If, you know, if they're poking around your hard drive while they're fixing it and just happen to run across something, sure, you should report that if it's illegal, certainly. And obviously, if it's something horrible like child pornography. But, um, you know, to get start getting paid to be looking around people's stuff, that that, that crosses a line for me. So uh, anyway, um, I guess the, the real takeaway here is, you know, before, <laughs> before you take your stuff into Best Buy, uh, you know, make sure it's locked down. Have your hard drives um, encrypted. Make sure you're using good passwords. Um, and if they're going to be poking around in there, at least you'll know that your stuff is protected. So anyway, wanted to update you guys a little bit on some Facebook things. I, if you didn't tune into last week's episode and you missed it, I would definitely go back and check that one out. It was pretty important. It was, you know, this whole Facebook fiasco that's just been scandal after scandal. And it's not the first, of course, uh, but in the last few weeks, it's just more and more keeps coming out about how these guys have collected way more data than you would have thought, even I would have thought, to be honest. And that's that's saying a lot. And uh, what they've been doing with that data that I don't think you would appreciate. So I deleted my Facebook accounts. I realize that's not something everybody else can do. Um, but uh, I also tell you in, the, in that episode and the related blog entry, if you just want to read about it, you can go to uh, Firewalls Don't Stop Dragons. You can check out the blog entry. Uh, tell you how to lock down your, your settings and, and keep things as private as possible. Uh, Facebook is, they're making some headway. They are making some changes, some welcome changes to their privacy policies, um, to how much data they're sharing, uh, even supposedly giving you the the option to go back and delete some historical data. Uh, that's all good. Of course, we have to trust that they're actually doing that. And, you know, right now it's hard to trust them with anything, to be honest. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg is going to be called in front of Congress to testify. That should be very interesting. Um so stay tuned. This is an evolving story. And uh, if nothing else, I hope that this whole fiasco has raised awareness and made people realize just how much data is being collected, A, 
how far it's being shared without your knowledge be, and how that data, when you put it all together and sift through it and make correlations, can say so much about you and can be used against you in so many ways. So anyway, uh, if you haven't read that, uh, if you haven't heard that episode, uh, I recommend you go back and check it out, or at the very least, check out the blog entry. And all right, that's going to wrap it up. So uh, everybody take care, and uh, we'll have some more news next week. And until then, as always, don't get caught with your drawbridge down. Bye.